stealing in as relapse sums above the den. It's hard to know if this will be the Hello and welcome to episode 423 of the Thinking Poker podcast from Catonsville, Maryland. I am Andrew Brokus. I will be joined shortly by Carlos Welch in Las Vegas, Nevada, and by our guest, K.L. Cleeton, who I believe was in Illinois, although I forget the name of the town that K.L. lives in. I will be doing the intro and the strategy segment solo today. I do have a strategy segment for you. Before I do that, I want to tell you a little bit about our guest, K.L. Cleeton. This will actually be K.L.'s third appearance on the show. He was first on episode 224 back in 2017. Uh, He won a contest that was sponsored by Daniel Negreanu and got uh, free rolled into the WSOP main event, ended up cashing for $16,000. The other thing that's distinctive about KL that'll be important for you to know, both because it comes up in the interview and because it explains why he can be um, a little bit difficult to understand at times. Uh, KL is, uh, he has a condition called spinal muscular atrophy, which means, uh, as he described it, he is uh, paralyzed from the neck down, but he does have feeling in, in his body. I think he's just not able to control it. Uh, so that, of course, requires a lot of special accommodations when he travels or plays live poker. Well, when he plays online as well. Um, it's actually pretty remarkable. He um, w- When he plays online, he's able to control and everything that he does online or everything on a computer, he's able to control actually with his mouth. Uh, when he plays live, he has a, a person, usually his father, who is uh, assisting him with the things that he's not able to do himself. We talk some about the, the accommodations that go into his traveling, um, which we've also discussed with him some on, on previous episodes. But the reason I'm saying this is um, he, he can be, I mean, I, I don't really have trouble understanding him, but uh, you know, it, it might require a little extra attention on, uh, on, on your part. So we will talk to KL about some of what he's working on now and, you know, uh, what it's like for him traveling to the WSOP, how it differs from the experience of many other professional poker players at the WSOP, um, and just some general other things. He's an interesting person, a good friend, uh, and a good guest. Like I said, this is his third appearance, so he was on episode 224. He was also on episode 279. So if you enjoy hearing from KL and you have not heard those old episodes, or have not heard them in a while, would encourage you to go back to episode 224 and 279. For today's strategy episode, I want to talk about the concept of uh, exploiting players who continuation bet too often, in particular when you were in the big blind. So you've called a raise from you know a, a pre-flop raiser, you've called from the big blind, you're heads up at a position against a player who continuation bets too often. This is based on an article that I just wrote uh, for the GTO Wizard blog that has been published. So you can find this and everything else that I've written for them at blog.gtowizard.com. Before I tell you, I would encourage you, and if you're in a position to pause this podcast and think about this for yourself, I would encourage you to do so. 
So there are some flops, right, where the preflop raiser, they can just continuation bet their entire range. Even if it's not quite the optimal strategy, it's, it, they have a big enough advantage. Uh, it's a good enough flop for them. They, it, it, they're not really giving up much EV. There's not a lot you can do to exploit them if they just continuation bet their entire range. That's actually, that's kind of the norm. Um, the the preflop raiser generally has a pretty big range advantage over the big blind to where there's not a whole lot the big blind can do about it if the preflop raiser just see bets small with their entire range. It's a different story if they bet bigger. But if, if they just bet small with their entire range, there's not really a lot that you can do to exploit that on many flops. But there are some flops that are um, not so great for, for the original raiser. They don't necessarily favor the big blind caller, but they don't punish the big blind caller uh, as many as some flops do. Uh, and these are boards where it is important uh, or is exploitable anyway if the preflop raiser does not have a checking range, if they do just see about their entire range. You can probably guess what these flops are. It's a lot of medium connected, like a 1087 uh, sort of flop, uh, the kind where the, they really interact nicely with the big blinds range. And I think that's all that I want to say about that right now. So the thing that I want to encourage you to think about is... How, if you knew that your opponent was just going to see about their entire range on these boards, even though that's an exploitable strategy, it's not what a tool like GTO Wizard would do, but you believe your opponent will do it, how should you exploit them as a big blind caller? Again, I'll encourage you to pause the uh, podcast if you are in a position to do so and try to answer this for yourself. Try to think about, are you going to fold more or less often to this player? Are you going to call more or less often? Are you going to raise more or less often? And if you are raising more or less often, which hands specifically are changing categories? So if you're going to raise less often, which hands become less good for raising? Or if you're going to raise more often, which hands become more good for raising? If you do not stipulate any additional exploitability, so this is a different story if your opponent will also fold the check raises after they see about too much, which is easy to do because if they see about their entire range on these boards, part of what, why it's a problem for them to bet their entire range on these like lower card boards is that the preflop raiser is usually just going to have tons and tons of hands that are in the no pair, no draw category. And those are hands that actually have pretty good equity. You know, a hand like ace-jack on 10-7-6 on two-tone. Uh, yeah, it's got the backdoor straight draw, but like if you don't have a backdoor flush draw or anything, it's it's not a great hand. In, in particular, it's not a hand that you're going to feel good about if you get check raised, but it is a hand that it could easily be the best hand. It, you could easily improve your hand by hitting an ace or a jack. It's not a hand that you really want to get check raised off of, or it, it is sort of a problem if you end up being forced to fold your equity. And this is really where, where the preflop raiser gets their incentive to develop a checking range on these low card boards is when they have so many unpaired you know, no pair, no draw hands in their range, they don't want to get blown off of that equity by betting. So that's probably starting to give you a hint of, of what's supposed to happen here, which is that if you know your opponent is just going to bet all of those hands, it becomes correct for you to check raise more aggressively against them because you're just going to catch them holding all of these uh, you know, no pair, no draw hands. And it's nice to deny equity to, to those hands. Now, if the only thing that you do in a sovereign, you can do this now in GTO Wizard, you just node lock the, um, the preflop raiser to continuation bet at 100% frequency. They, they, they don't really pay attention to the board texture. They just bet small with their entire range. It is still correct to have a folding range. In fact, you still fold about as often to these bets as you would if they were not c-betting too often. So, you know, a lot of the hands that you're folding to a small c-bet are hands that just have no coordination with the board whatsoever yourself, and they're worse than your opponent's hands that have no coordination whatsoever. So you can't just continue any two cards by default. 
if you think that your opponent will also overfold to a check race, because once they're betting all those unpaired overcards, they're supposed to continue with a fair number of them to a check race. Like that's the solver's adaptation is if you force it to bet its entire range, it's going to continue pretty stubbornly to check raises because it knows that it's betting its entire range and it doesn't want to be exploited by check raises. Many human opponents actually will you know, overfold after they see bet too much, then they'll also fold if they don't have any coordination with the board. Against those players, you can just check raise your entire, even your worst hands, any two cards will be profitable against them. They're not going to have a pair or draw often enough if you make a small check raise to punish you for bluffing in those situations. So many humans may not do what a solver would do, and against those humans, you can exploit them by check raising your entire range. But against uh if, if you if you are not comfortable making that assumption if you feel like okay this person is definitely see betting too much i don't know how they're going to respond to a check raise like they might actually respond appropriately to a check raise or account for the fact that they're see betting too much uh, you can't just check raise them with any two cards and you should still fold your worst hands so what ends up happening is you call less often against these players you check raise more often and the hands that you're check raising are not exactly bluffs what you're doing is you're just check raising when you have decent equity and that's you know you're check raising uh, most of your top pair even a lot of your like second pair a lot of your good draws hands that might be low frequency check raises anyway they become higher frequency check raises um there's just more value like when your opponent has so many unpaired hands in their range if you flop top pair or even second pair it's kind of a win-win for you to check raise into that range. Right? Either they fold their, their over cards and you're denying them 25% equity plus the opportunity to play in position on later streets, or if they call with those hands, well, they're calling from behind, right? The, the one thing that they can't do if they're betting that often, they can't just consistently have a better hand than top pair. That's the mistake that they already made. So you're not taking advantage of a mistake that you anticipate them making in response to your check raise, you're taking advantage of a mistake that they already made, which is c-betting at too high of a frequency. The thing that I found most interesting about this is that when I wrote this article for the GTA Wizard blog, I included in there a line that if you anticipate that your opponent is going to have this exploitability on the flop, then you should also call wider from the big blind in order to take advantage of this mistake more often. So my claim was, if, the, if you know that they're gonna make a mistake on the flop, you are then incentivized to see the flop with some slightly weaker hands than you otherwise would in order to profit from that mistake. Like that the EV of calling with those hands should be a little bit higher because you can anticipate profiting from this mistake your opponent is going to make. That's not actually something that we can test with GTO Wizard right now. The ability to do custom solutions uh, only starts on the flop, so we can't run like a, a pre-flop solution where we node lock uh, that, that this person is going to see bet too often and then see how that affects our, our pre-flop range. So that was speculation on my part. And I rarely put things in these articles that are speculation on my part, but this one I, I felt pretty confident about. And then Tom Boshoff, who is uh, the, the head of content at GTA Wizard, has been a guest on this podcast, a fantastic episode, one of the best strategy episodes of the year, uh, if you have not heard that one. Uh, Tom Boshoff looked over this article and said, actually, that's not true. Uh, he apparently had, had done this test. Um, he had run a simulation where the pre-flop raiser was C-betting too much, and the big blind actually defends less often. Like... If you anticipate your opponent is going to see about too often, they're going to be too aggressive on the flop. It's actually correct for you to fold your big blind slightly more than you otherwise would. And I took Tom's word for this because he's very smart and he doesn't say things like this idly. And I, I trust that, that he you know, ran that experiment, knew what he was talking about. But it was at odds with my intuition. And so I had to think about why is my intuition wrong here? What, what am I missing? 
And it actually relates to what I was describing before, where unless you can also anticipate this person is going to fold too much to check raises. And I think that if you could, I think if we also node locked that, then it would be correct to call more often against them from, from your big blind. That's not something I've tested. It's possible my intuition is wrong again, but I think that that is probably true. But if we're not stipulating your opponent overfolds to check raises, you are still folding your worst hands when they bet. And so what ends up happening on, you know, like the, the, the 10, seven, six sort of flop is, you know, whatever the flop is, um, there's hands that if your opponent were playing correctly, unexploitably, the equilibrium strategy, they'd be checking behind a lot on that flop. And for some of your hands, that's bad, right? It's bad for your top pair when they check behind and they take a free card. It's bad for your, your, your stronger hands when they check behind. Um, it's actually good for your weaker hands when they check behind because now you're getting a free card. Right? So your, your worst hands appreciate it when your opponent doesn't see bet. And so if your opponent's see betting too much, your worst hands are actually losing EV to that player. Your best hands are gaining EV from them, and on balance, it's good for you, right? That's why that's what it means to say it's exploitable. Your EV is higher against the player who's making this mistake. But that EV is not, it's not just like every hand in your range has higher EV. Your best hands have higher EV, your worst hands have lower EV, um, but the, the gains outweigh the losses. So you do make money from, from this player, even if you call with like a normal equilibrium calling range, but you make even more money if anticipating that they're going to see about the flop too often, you actually arrive at the flop with a slightly stronger range than you otherwise would, meaning that you, you fold some of the worst hands you might otherwise call with against a less aggressive player pre-flop. So I found that really interesting. Um, just you know, a, a good example of how I'm learning while I'm creating uh, well, you know, any kind of content that I do. I, I learn stuff. Talking to Carlos, certainly, and our guests on this show all the time. But in this case, in an article that I was writing for GTO Wizard and getting to collaborate with people like uh, Tom Boshoff and learn from them uh, is just a great experience. And if you would like to read that article, it is available now at blog.gtowizard.com, as are the dozens of other articles I've written for the GTO Wizard blog and uh, articles written by other people besides myself, many of whom have been guests on this very show. The last thing I'll encourage you to do is to support this show on Patreon, patreon.com slash thinkingpokerdaily. I don't expect any of you to buy me Christmas presents, but if you wanted to do a little something nice for the holidays, this is the single nicest thing that you could do besides just listening to the show, which we appreciate. This is uh, the best way that you can support the show is to sign up patreon.com slash thinking poker daily. That provides a little bit of financial support to Carlos and me. And it also gets you access to a daily strategy shows on a podcast feed, just like the one you're listening to us on right now. Uh, five days a week, you can hear Carlos and me answer strategy questions from listeners like you all the questions that we answer 95 percent of the questions that we answer are submitted by patrons on patreon so one more time that's patreon.com slash thinking poker daily if you are so inclined thank you all very much for listening please enjoy this interview with kl cleeton Alrighty, K.L. Clayton, uh, welcome back to the podcast. It's been a little while. 
Yeah, it has. Thanks so much for having me back on. I, I really appreciate it. I love the show. Yeah, I, I'm I'm grateful for the opportunity to talk to you. It's uh, I mean, it is one of the good things about having the podcast is I'm not great about keeping in touch with people, and it does provide an impetus to uh, to to check in with folks. And you're certainly one of the more interesting people that I've met through doing this. Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate that. You guys as well. Um, so I guess I don't even remember. I think it was maybe 2018 was the last time that you were uh, on the show. If you want to catch us up a little bit on what you've been up to in, in the last couple of years. Yeah, I think you're right. It has been, man. And I, I didn't, it didn't like sink in until you said 2018. I was like, holy cow. Yeah, Carlos uh, yeah, and I, I were just talking was... about this the other day that it does feel like two to three years kind of disappeared to the, uh, I mean, we were still doing the podcast, but it's still somehow that the time sort of feels like it it vanished during the, the worst of the pandemic. It really does, doesn't it? It's like it, it got sucked into a black hole. Um, yeah, but I think you're right. I think we were uh, chatting kind of in the uh, immediate aftermath uh, of the Daniel Negreanu contest. Um, which obviously just kind of my introduction into the poker ecosystem. Um, you know, super, super grateful that, you know, the community has kind of continued to welcome me and uh, throw its arms open. That's, I think that's one of the things that I love most about the community is that, you know, it doesn't really matter who you are or uh where you're from or any of those things as long as you can make your way into play a tournament or a cash game everybody will take their money just the same <laughs> yes <laughs> you know i think so like said it best whenever he said that you know it's when you're at the poker table people don't see you know black white or anything like that they just see green and while that was kind of mostly in jest it it really has a, a negative truth at least in my experience um and yeah the last several years have been really really fun really busy um i finally had the opportunity to play uh two like full-on uh wsop schedules uh unfortunately i didn't get a chance to this year but both 21 and 22 were you know absolute dreams come true uh you know, maybe not so much in the results category, uh, <laughs> but at the end of the day, you know, just being able to be out and play a bunch of tournaments, be around all these folks who I speak with literally every single day, you know, they become my closest friends and, you know, really more like family at this point. Um, but it's always, you know, from 2,000 miles away or whatever it is, and being out there is a real treat and then you know poker's the poker community specifically has uh opened up other opportunities you know with being able to work on training programs and and, and start some as well and and kind of it's just it's thinking back on it now it's kind of humbling to see like how one domino falling has led to all these others um and and now it's getting to the point where I can kind of see the next row of dominoes and hopefully directing those to to maybe, you know, be even more stuff, um, you know, more really cool opportunities and ways to, to be involved in the, the ecosystem. 
Yeah, I, I was thinking, as you mentioned, like in, in 2017, when the poker world first got to know you, I think it mostly was as that guy who won the Daniel Negreanu contest. But I think at this point, you're pretty well established. Like, I don't even, I imagine there's a fair number of people who know who you are, who who don't know about the Negreanu connection at all. I, th- I think you're you're pretty well established as your own entity in the poker world. I really appreciate that. It's, it's something that once I kind of became introduced to this, you know, this amazing community, it it is really important to me to, I mean, obviously I'll, I'll forever be indebted to Daniel and, and that contest of kind of giving me that, that foothold, that initial opportunity and that initial chance to be in this ecosystem. But like you said, it's one of those things where I, I really see so much potential and I have, you know, kind of fallen. I mean, I was already head over heels in love with the game, but uh, more importantly, now it's not just the game that uh, is is so uh, meaningful to me. It's really the people that I've met through the game, um, and I can't really think of any other uh, you know, game or or environment or community where you can sit down. At a table with five, six, seven, eight, you know, nine other strangers and battle it out all day, you know, trying to take each other's trips, but then also at the exact same time have relationships with those people that go on to be, you know, really forged in fire and become really meaningful. Like it, it's this really beautiful and amazing dichotomy. Um, if you think about it, because you're you're meeting in this competitive environment, but you know once you're away from the table, uh, it really does become much more of a community, at least in my experience. <laughs> yeah, well, I think yeah. you've done a lot of work to to build that community around yourself as well. I, I hope so. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't really be anywhere without people like you know Ryan Plant, uh, Ryan Lang. Um, Jared and Melissa, Jared Smith and Melissa Bryan. Um, you know, these folks are, are just really, really. They're no longer friends; they are family. Um, it's funny you say that. That I keep going back to the Daniel thing. That it was kind of the genesis of all of this. Um, up to that point, I had been in you know this poker group for the whole bit. Of, I don't know, it's probably eight or nine of us, uh, maybe a few more that would float in and out, but really the uh, the core of that group and still is the three of us, uh, Jared, Melissa, and uh, myself. And when that whole opportunity came up, those, those two and the rest of the group immediately just dropped everything and bought plane tickets to go out and be in Vegas to, well, A, meet me and my family in person for the first time because we'd only corresponded via, you know, like Skype and Telegram messages or, you know, whatever we were using back in, you know, 2016, 17, whatever it was. Yeah, that's just, I think that says a lot about the type of people that I've been really fortunate to be surrounded by the type of people who I think that the poker community is. I mean, obviously, 
not everybody is always, you know, awesome. I mean, you know, just like any other community, we have our, our uh, fair share of, uh, of bad actors and whatnot. But honestly, by and large, you know, I, I've had the great fortune to be around a whole bunch of different types of people in a ton of different sort of environments. And this community is the one that I want to be in for the rest of my life because it's so welcoming. It's so non-judgmental. There's so much, uh, you know, <laughs> to steal uh, Phil's line, hashtag positivity, right? I mean, it's kind of like, you know, a joke. <laughs> you know, like, it's like, all right, Phil, we get it. You know, now I'm going to blow up for a minute. Um, but... <laughs> But, you know, there is, like, some, there's a nugget of uh, of truth to that, right? So, you know, I, I just, I, I don't know, I don't know if I can say that I'm necessarily a, uh, a driving force, but I certainly seek out that sort of uh, positive impact in my life, and hopefully that extends outward in a ripple effect as well to other people when you go out to play like you mentioned you're playing a, a full wsop schedule for um in, in 2021 and 2022 uh what does that entail for you in terms of um i mean i assume you need like a special hotel room or, or a special sort of accommodation and like what all goes into putting together a, a full summer like that for you yeah so uh get comfortable uh, sit down and grab a drink because uh, <laughs> it's complicated. Yeah, um, I've got a copy uh, right here, actually. <laughs> I'll give you the short version uh, to save the uh, listeners' ears from bleeding as I drone on. Uh, but yeah, you know, you're 100 percent correct. It's incredibly complicated. It is. It's actually something I've written about uh, a few different times as well, and and kind of trying to help people understand because. I think you're right. There is kind of this uh, lack of understanding, a, a, a notion that, oh, it's just, you know, need an ADA room and we're good to go. And that's actually a lot more complicated than that. Um, so, for example, right after that, before we even leave uh, our house, which is in central Illinois, um, we're about 100 miles east of St. Louis and 200 miles south of Chicago. So imagine the middle of nowhere and then go 10 miles further out into the middle of nowhere. And that's where I'm at. With all that, I have a ton of medical equipment, as you can imagine. Uh, I have my, my overnight breathing machine. I've got, uh, you know, sorts of, of stuff that I use just in my day-to-day life. And so what that ends up creating is we have to pull a trailer behind uh, my vehicle because, by the way, I'm not able to fly. Uh, it's not that I'm physically unable, like, you know, medically, I physically am unable to fly because airlines don't allow you to remain in your wheelchair when you are in flight, and I'm not able to sit in anything other than my wheelchair. And so that means that my family and I drive everywhere. I say my family because uh, my parents are my uh, caregivers, 
obviously, as you can imagine. Uh, for those that don't know, I have something called spinal muscular atrophy, and it's a neurological disorder, but it's really easily understood as something like being completely paralyzed from the neck down, but I can feel everything. So if I need a drink, if I need to have an itch scratched or, you know, whatever it may be, if I need to fold my hand at a poker table, uh, somebody has to do that for me. So, yeah, obviously, getting there is a massive uh, barrier by itself because of, you know, driving, you know, I don't know if people who pull trailers, they can tell you, like, you get really terrible gas mileage when you drive uh, with a trailer behind you. And so, you know, these are all, like, layers of complexity. And then when you layer on top of that, once we get to where we're going, I have to sleep in a hospital bed. Uh, and so what that means is because of the need for a hospital bed, I have to have not just an accessible room, you know, like the shower and bathroom accessibility stuff, but I also need to have a room that literally has enough floor space that we can put a hospital bed in the room without breaking the hotel's fire code. Because we've actually had that happen before. Um, we've actually showed up at a hotel. They said, um, we pulled ahead and said, someone will be delivering a hospital bed in order for me uh, to sleep. Uh, and they're like, okay, no problem. We get there. And they said, no, we can't do this. It breaks fire code. And then we were, you know, basically scrambling, trying to find a hotel somewhere before the bed delivery company closed. So that way, you know, I would actually have a bed for them to, you know, deliver to before uh, before they went home for the day. And so it's, it's and then, you know, like I said, this gets even more complicated as we kind of, like, follow these dominoes, but you know, even just in the last five minutes, I've thrown at you probably, what, a dozen different <laughs> barriers to traveling. Um, and guess what? All of these barriers, as a whole, equal one thing. Increased cost. You know, uh, at the end of the day, it's not like I can rent an Airbnb with, like, three or four other people and we split the cost. And it's, you know, much cheaper. And, oh, we have a kitchen so we don't have to eat out every meal, um, you know, and, and things like that. That's not really a thing that we can do, right? Even if the home was accessible, the bathroom wouldn't be. And I don't know about you guys, but I'd like to shower. Um, you know, like Your opponents will probably appreciate that as well. I, I mean, maybe it's a good way for me to gain some EV. Um, but uh, you know, it, it's it. You can you can kind of start to get uh, a blurry image of how complicated this uh, this picture is. And so, whenever I have had a chance to go out to Vegas uh, in twenty one and twenty two, the only reason I was able to do that was because. I actually had a short-term sponsorship deal with uh, ACR, 
And so they were able to help support that endeavor uh, with the with the sponsorship deal and that offset our, our traveling costs. And then obviously I sold, you know, infinite for everything that I wanted to, uh, that I wanted to play. Um, and I had a very small piece of myself, but at the end of the day, I was there, I was able to compete. Um, I had a chance to, you know, really embrace this, you know, world in its entirety. You know, kind of like playing live to me is is the cat. You know, <laughs> they always say, you know, Hogan is the Cadillac of poker. You know, no limit. Well, in my opinion, live no limit is like the Rolls Royce, right? Because it's just it, it, nothing can replace it. Nothing can can fill that void. And so, yeah, it's one of those deals where I'm so grateful that I had that chance to to do that two years in a row. Um, but then when I didn't have that opportunity this year, it was really, really tough, you know, just kind of like personally and emotionally because it's hard to really articulate it. You know, like I said earlier, it's not just about the game anymore. It's more about the people. Uh, and obviously, you know, in 22, I felt like I had my best uh, showing ever as far as, you know, consistency and whatnot. And that was losing, you know, about 10 days to COVID as well in the summer of 22. You know, I just felt like I was playing at a super high level from a game perspective. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm eager to hopefully be able to find additional opportunities to uh, to make live uh, schedules more of a uh, a possibility for me uh, going forward. Um, but obviously, like I said, it's one of those deals where, uh, you know, I have to find some, some you know, let's be very honest, I have to find some support that is interested in, in kind of working together. And, you know, I mean, I get it. It's it's tough right now. You know, people are deciding where to, to you know, make the investments in diversity and, and you know, investments in, in the game itself. But I'm, I'm really excited that if that opportunity does come along, I'm, I'm optimistic about my ability to hopefully be a positive voice, hopefully be a, a good um, a good beacon of people uh, that people can look to and say, hey, if this kid, well, I'm not really a kid anymore, but <laughs> if, uh, if this guy is out here doing it, and, uh, you know, battling away and, and living his best life, uh, then what's my excuse? And and that's what I hope, that when when folks interact with me and my dad, who is usually the one uh, who is helping me at the table and, and moving my, uh, my chips and, and playing my action and whatnot, I hope that when they, when they see us, they kind of see a no excuses, um, and people can maybe embrace that and, and maybe use that in their own life, whether it's poker related or not. Yes. Speaking of your positive voice, you, you recently started a blog on your website, klcleeton.com, that um, has seemed to be pretty well received online with, you know, a lot of the 
messages that you're putting out in these blogs. Can you talk a little bit about that? Um, actually, so I, I actually had never written before in my entire life. Not like for real. I mean, yeah, sure, we all write in high school and college because we have to. Um, right. But uh, I was, I just, I you know, I had some stuff I wanted to say, and it didn't feel like it was something that I wanted to put like in, you know, tweet threads or anything like that. It felt like something that that deserved a little bit more uh, longer form. And, uh, you know, I mean, we talk about everything from disability to relationships to uh, I talk about my family a fair bit. I talk about poker, obviously, quite a bit as well. But at the end of the day, I, I'm really fortunate that I get a chance to chat with and interact with some people that I think are really, really sharp on a regular basis. And we had some really, I, I want to say meaningful, but that's that's kind of underselling it. Uh, we had some really impactful, uh, frank conversations. I, I've learned a lot about myself. I've learned a lot about other people and kind of the human condition. And I thought it was worth it to put some of those things down kind of in the ether, if you will, uh, put it out into into the interwebs and see if it maybe helps somebody out. Uh, and I'm, I'm super optimistic about kind of hoping where it's going. I, I can't tell you how many DMs I'm not going to obviously name names because some of them are very personal. Um, but I've gotten you know, so many DMs from people that I know and don't know. Uh, just random folks who I've never even met in my entire life saying, hey, man, I was, you know, dealing with, you know, this, that, or the other, and seeing your perspective uh, was, you know, really uh, eye-opening and really uh, encouraging. Um, and so, you know, I, listen, I, I try to be a relatively, you know, optimistic and positive human being. Um, I think that's kind of my responsibility as you know part of the human condition is to to be a, a force for for good but at the same time you know none of us are always on all the time right you know we, we have bad days we have you know like days where we're just like man this shit sucks right um but i think it's okay to identify that recognize it appreciate it, uh, but not let it consume us. You know, not let it uh, eat us up from the inside. And uh, hopefully, that kind of comes through in the, the posts, and uh, hopefully people are, are getting getting that out of it. And if they're not, then uh, I maybe I'm not a very good writer, but uh, I certainly hope so. Well, you you definitely are an excellent writer, and I highly recommend the blog to the blog to everyone who's out there listening. So if you didn't catch it before, once again, it's at kocleton.com. And I love the title, um, Break Barriers and Smash Expectations. You've certainly done that in your life. I really appreciate that, Carlos. And it really means a lot, especially uh from you, man. I mean, you've 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 done your fair share of uh barrier breaking and expectation shattering and 
it means a lot hearing that from uh, from somebody like you. I I really admire you, and I I have obviously known you for a few years now. We don't you know drink beers together, but uh, <laughs> you know we we know each other well enough to to give each other shit in the hallways when we That's see true. each other. <laughs> and uh, you know I I really means a lot. So thank you. Thank you. The fill is mutual. You mentioned uh, we were talking a little bit uh, off the air that you had just gone yesterday to film a commercial, which uh, I naively thought you meant like a commercial for Range Trainer Pro or, or something that that you were working for. But um, can you talk a little bit about what that what that commercial was? Yeah. So uh, in Illinois, we have something called uh, Home Care. Basically, it's exactly what it sounds like. It's a program that helps people with disabilities. Uh, or elderly folks or whoever uh, that might need some extra help. It helps them stay in their home. And hometown workers are unionized in Illinois, represented by SEIU uh, International. It's a, a service employee union. And they're in the midst of contract negotiations for a new contract right now with the state of Illinois. And so uh, my family and I drove... Uh, up north about three hours and we sat uh, for a commercial that basically is just going to be a, a, a kind of a, a public uh, announcement, you know, trying to encourage people in Illinois to reach out uh, to both the governor and even their representatives to uh, support the requests of the union in at the negotiation table uh, right now they're fighting for fair wages and also a uh, a path to retirement. It's something that's really important because right now home care work in not just in Illinois but really all across the nation isn't recognized as the important vital work that it is. Um, you wouldn't believe how many people just think. Oh, home care, they're just babysitting people. And that's just simply not the case. I mean, home care workers are cleaning and shopping and, and making meals and making it possible for people to remain in their homes and be productive members of society and not be you know, relegated to an institution. And so the goal is to make this job a career uh, because there's a massive workforce shortage right now in the industry and the way the only way that we can address that is to make the job actually attractive for people to be in and remain in long term and the only way to make that happen is to make the wages fair and also creating paths uh, to retirement because why would you really want to do a job for your entire life when you're literally going to be doing it for your entire life, like until <laughs> the, the day you die. Um, that's just not the way that that it's supposed to work, right? Um, and so, uh, yeah, we were up there. It was really important because I am able to speak, like physically. I'm able to interact and articulate with you. Um, but there are so many folks out there that also have complex physical disabilities that are super sharp, 
super, you know, intelligent, but maybe don't have the physical ability to speak. And so it was really important to me to be able to go and kind of be that voice um, and say the things that I, I think they would want to be said uh, and, and convey the message that, hey, like folks with disability in Illinois and really all over, but specifically Illinois, are, are dealing with some major workforce problems right now. And the people who are suffering the most are actually the folks with disabilities that the program is intended to uh, to support in the first place. And how did that go, the, the shoot? Well, the shoot was actually, I mean, it was fun. Uh, it, was a, it was a good time. Uh, we were actually at um, one of the union members' homes, which was kind of cool. So it wasn't like this real, you know, stuffy set or office or whatever. You know, it was like it was our house, you know, and fun little, you know, knickknacks and family photos and whatnot. So that was really um really cool. And also, uh I'm super vain and super uh narcissistic. So I uh I loved uh actually the uh this is gonna sound really silly, but Anybody who's ever been through makeup will kind of understand what I'm uh, getting at. I, I wear a, a mask overnight, and that mask creates this really uh, bad red mark on my cheek. It's just, you know, I've had it for... Anybody who's ever met me has seen it, probably. It looks like somebody beat the shit out of me. Um, I, promise <laughs> they, I promise they didn't. It's just a mask. Um, but... Uh, this was kind of cool for me because uh, she actually built up and made that go away, and it wasn't there for the first time that it hasn't been there in, well, at least not visibly, um, in in years, and that was kind of uh, uh, wow. it was it was neat seeing me in photos and whatnot without that mark. Like, you know, maybe some people didn't notice or didn't realize, but for me, it was like. Oh wow! This is what I would look like without that thing, right? Um, and it was just that was kind of a, a cool uh, experience, and and thing. And she she even made a suggestion of a product that I can uh, try and use that might actually heal it up. We're we're willing to try anything. We've we've tried about everything, but we're willing to try whatever people uh, you know say might work. But uh, yeah, that was. That was like something really little uh, that was, you know, kind of really big for me, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, so we talked a little bit about the disappointment of not being able to play the full WSOP schedule right now, but uh, and I know you have to go fairly soon, but, you know, what what's going on in poker that you are excited about? I mean, the win, who isn't excited about, <laughs> about WPT at the win, right? Um, again, I'm going to miss it this year. I miss the inaugural, and I'll miss it again this year. Absolutely gut-wrenched about that. I mean, just pure heartbreak. Um, I, I, I sound positive right now. I sound, you know, like, oh, man, but like, on the inside, I'm just dead. Um, it's a black hole of emotion right now. But 
that is such a amazing property. It's such a fantastic outfit with WPT. Um, like they, it, it just it's like everything that you know we want out of a a a, a schedule. They just did it. They're like, okay. What, what do you guys want? We want this. Okay. Right, we'll, we'll do that. No problem. Um, and, and obviously, I'm a little bit partial because the win. Uh, well, first of all, Canada has never been to Vegas. Um, obviously, WSOP in the summer. Nothing beats that. You know, like that goes without saying. Who doesn't want to win a bracelet? Like everybody wants to have a bracelet, right? Um, Carlos can tell me all about his, and then I can go cry. Tonight, because yeah, you know. um, but at the same time, for me personally, the win, which I guess technically is the encore, because the win poker room is in the encore, mm-hmm. which is a little backwards in my mind. Um, but to me, it has a, a, a extra special meaning because it's actually the the place where I've had my best run ever in a tournament, not my biggest cash. But my best friend, I had an 11th in one of their kickoff events at the very beginning of 22, uh, or of the, the summer of 22. And for us, like I said, my dad and I, because uh, he's you know nearly always my assistant, they just have gone out of their way to make the environment as easy for us as humanly possible. Um, and, you know, not that other folks don't do that. I mean, you know, people are always trying to make, you know, make things, uh, you know, accommodating and whatnot, but just literally every single person at that property from top to bottom is top-notch, top-tier. They, they really seem to care. Um, and, and they're not you know, too big to stop and chat with you for five minutes. You know, I mean, Ray is walking through and Ray's like the man there, right? I mean, he is, yeah. he, he's, he's literally being pulled in 10 different directions. But if you stop and ask him a legit question, like he's, he's, he's happy to give you, you know, five minutes or whatever. And like those sorts of things are the little things in my mind that are just so fantastic. And obviously every every uh rotation um in Vegas has its its pluses and minuses. And like I said, nobody will ever be able to kind of compete with the grandeur of winning a WSOP bracelet in the summertime, uh, you know, at, at Horseshoe Paris. Um but, you know, the win is just it's chef's kiss. It's just perfect in every way, in my opinion. And they didn't pay me to say that. So, <laughs> but if they would like to, I mean, if they want to, uh, I'm open, just saying, just throwing it out in the universe. <laughs> and what are you working on personally? Uh, so right now, obviously, really, really heavily working on Range Trainer Pro, GTO database training tool. Uh, we actually just released a massive update we rewrote essentially everything on the entire site from top to bottom optimized 
Uh, it's much much easier to navigate, in my opinion. Our goal is to, you know, we, we want folks who obviously are, you know, GTO sickos, um, and that's why we've worked with people in the past uh, to, to figure out our, our souls and our trees. But really what we want to do is we want to make theory accessible and understandable and attainable to the everyday person, making it where, hey, you know, the the person who plays five tournaments a week online or whatever, and they enjoy the game, they're not interested in going pro, but they just want to feel like they had a, a fighting chance. You know, they're, they're not a human ATM machine. That's who we want to help. We want to make them feel like, hey, you know, they're evening the playing field. They're they're leveling the playing field, and um, I think that we've we've done that with this kind of relaunch, this uh, redux, if you will. Um, really, just making it much easier to understand how to find the information that is actually going to be useful. Um, you know, we still have all the the super nerdy stats that that everybody would. You know, what as a uh, kind of a, a, a GTO, uh, you know, savant, if you will, you can still find all those, but they're kind of on the second layer because at the at the end of the day, we want to help people that are really just playing this game for the reason we all started playing this game. They freaking love it. They love the competition. They love the 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 craziness of it all. And they don't want to spend a bunch of time, you know, 15 hours a week or whatever it is, trying to, to improve. They want to spend, you know, an hour or two here and there. And that's what we want to do. We want to make it easy for them to better understand so they have a better shot at the table. All right. Well, I want to respect your hard stuff. So uh, thank you so much, KL, for taking the time to talk to us. We really do need to do this more often, uh, but hopefully we'll get a chance to do it in person sometime soon. Yeah, I hope so, man. Um, thank you so much for having me. I I really appreciate um, the chance. And yeah, I will... Uh, I look forward to seeing you all in person and your, hey, you're still a glorious honorary ginger, no matter what your beard looks like. Yeah, I, I need that caveat because I'm uh, I'm, I'm ginger in theory only. <laughs> GTO. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That's amazing. That is, that is fantastic. <laughs> Hey, it's great to talk to you guys. All right, take care. Of a car, my light of the fair pass.
Since you've been built 